day today. I'm very, I mean, I think our timing is amazing mm-hmm. that it is actually Thursday, January 19th, when the um, federal government hit their debt ceiling. And we get to talk to economist Brian Riedel of the Manhattan Institute all in the same time to help us um, understand what is making headlines. And if you will indulge me, I would like to sort of make an analogy that is what I understand it to be, and you can set me straight. But basically, as I understand it, I was thinking about this earlier. It's like I'm a college student and I just hit my credit limit on my credit card and I call my dad and I'm like, you got to call the company and raise my credit limit because I've got to pay for important college things, books and tuition. And my mom said, absolutely. Let's call the bank and get your credit limit raised on your credit card. My dad's like, hold on a minute, Missy. Let's sit down and look at your budget because maybe you're wasting some money and let's make sure that everything you're spending money on you absolutely need. And in the meantime, I'm sitting here with bills I got to pay. Mom and dad are fighting over whether my credit limit should go up or not. And, um, you know, and and I'm sort of stuck in the middle. And in this case, mom is the Democrats. Dad is the Republicans. But in some case, mom's the Republic Republicans and dad's a Democrat. Maybe everyone's a Republican and everyone wants to raise the credit limit. But explain to our listeners, what has happened today that the uh, United States government hit their debt ceiling? And then um, I, what I really want to understand is why do we have a debt ceiling? We have a debt ceiling because originally when, when the country first got the start, we had to authorize borrowing on a bill by bill basis. Oh, that wow. was just part of the legislation. If you're going to you know, spend $5 billion and not tax it, you have to, you have to authorize the borrowing. And we did it on a bill-by-bill basis until 1939, when they got tired of that and said, let's just set a debt limit of a certain amount. That's how much we can borrow. And then when you hit the debt limit, you just raise it again. If you don't raise the debt limit, then the federal government cannot borrow additional money, which basically means you have to balance the budget starting that day. There can be no deficit spending. Um, And so what happened today is the national debt hit 31.3 trillion dollars today i mean that's a heck of a limit it's 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 a, uh, <laughs> I, my credit limit on my credit card's a little lower than that i mean 31 trillion 31.3 oh the the debt i mean has 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 gone it was it was 16 trillion um uh before covid i mean it, the numbers are are insane so what it means is we don't actually have to balance the budget starting today what the federal government can do is play around with money and certain accounts that'll get us through a few more months. Like there's government pension accounts for government workers. They can they basically they're going to raid these accounts and they're going to take money out of all of these government accounts that they'll pay back later. And those are called extraordinary measures. Yeah, the it doesn't extraordinary sound good to me. measures will get us to summer, and then it's re- the real D Day. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. I've used a credit card to pay a credit card. And, you know, it's kind of shenanigans because in the end, do we ever owe the money? Do we will we ever pay back the 31 trillion? A- absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> we will never pay back the national. Is it imaginary? Debt. What we will do that the danger here is that the interest cost is going to keep growing every year. We got to pay interest on that. And the interest is growing rapidly. What's really dangerous is interest rates are rising right now. Right, right. Every point that interest rates rise will cost $2.6 trillion over the decade and $30 trillion over 30 years. Every so hard time to get my rates head around rise that. one point, that's the danger. So, so if rates go up three points, 
you've just added $7.8 trillion over 10 years in interest costs. Forget uh, okay. the debt. We just need to be able to pay the interest. So it's become a political football like everything right now. There's a lot of partisan politics in D.C. Uh, it seems like more than ever. So so what happened? I mean, in the, we've raised the debt limit a bunch of times before. Yeah. So why 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 the problem now? You know, a lot of people criticize the debt limit and say this is not the time to discuss deficit reduction. You made the case exactly that if you're going to raise the your, your credit card limit, yes, you need to make the payment uh, uh, for the purchases you've already made, but why not fix the problem so that you don't have the same problem again? And this is kind of an interesting note. Since 1985, the eight biggest deficit reduction bills that have been enacted, all eight were attached to the debt limit. Every major deficit reduction law since 1985 was attached to the debt limit. So historically, Republicans and Democrats used to do this. They used to agree, raise the debt limit, attach reforms. Um, you know, things like, I'm dating myself, but there were the Graham-Rudman-Hollings bills of the 80s. There was the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, the Pago Law of 2009, the Budget Control Act of 2011. Every one of them was attached to the debt limit. And so it's frustrating now that Democrats are saying, we're not going to do anything now on, on, on the debt limit is sacred. Well, it's historically, it wasn't sacred. We fixed the issue, at least partially, at the same time. So Republicans are saying, if we're going to agree to raise a debt limit, we need to talk about uh, reducing the deficit. Yes. And they have certain ways that they want to reduce it. There, and, and that's where a lot of the debate is right now, is what what's the ask? And they're still not sure. Um, what I'm pushing Republicans to do in meetings on the Hill is frankly to be more modest. And that's because typically Republicans ask for the moon in these situations and get nothing. And right. ultimately, we're going to have to raise the debt limit. We can't not raise it. It's It would be cataclysmic to not raise it. Um, so and the question so, is just how ugly does it get? It Well, if you have to eliminate 20% of the budget in one day, um, you're either defaulting on the debt, which is going to raise interest rates and get people to no longer want to lend the government money. And you're defaulting, you're having to eliminate massive government programs, and you're defaulting on obligations to others. And I don't just mean waste, fraud, and abuse. I mean, like, the federal government does business with a lot of businesses. They, they reimburse hospitals and doctors for seeing Medicare and Medicaid. They buy um, military equipment from contractors. They buy office supplies from, from companies. They contract with, with construction companies to build highways. Right. We owe them money. Right. We purchase right. products. If we default on all of that, not only is the federal government committing fraud against millions of businesses, they can't pay their employees. They can't make pay their rent. Right. You have businesses going under because they've been defrauded by Washington. And they what about federal employees? Like they need to get their paychecks, right? Right, right. You would have, it would be ad economically cataclysmic. So, so what do you, you what do you think will happen then? I ultimately they're gonna have to raise it. I okay. think Republicans should ask for something modest. Um like what? For instance, end the COVID emergency declaration and all the spending associated with it. 
Yep. We have all of these student loans, uh, uh, repayment moratoriums, extra unemployment benefits, extra yep. extra anti-poverty benefits that are all tied to the COVID declaration that's costing 10 to $15 billion a month, if not more. This is ending that declaration might even appeal to Democrats because here's your chance to declare a victory over COVID. You win. You killed it. It's, it's gone. That, that's something you could actually get and that would save real money. Uh, otherwise, we could do something like the Trust Act, which has some bipartisan support that would create a, a legislator commission to address Social Security and Medicare. Mm. Or we could try to lock in something like a freeze on discretionary spending for the year. Discretionary yeah. spending has grown 21% in two years under Democratic control. Define discretionary spending. Discretionary Just spending is the 30% of the budget that's not on autopilot. Yeah. It's the 30% of the budget that actually has to be appropriated and pass every year. And the 30% of the budget that shuts down during a government shutdown if there is no spending bill. Right. Because that's the stuff that actually has to pass every year. The Republican House has real leverage. They have to be the ones to pass it. And they can say, we want to freeze on discretionary spending for a year. If they tried to come out, I've, I've heard people say that they should come out for a 20% cut in discretionary spending. That's not going to happen. Right. But if they call for a freeze, that they might be, those are the realistic things they might be able to get. If they ask for too much, they're, not, they're going to get nothing. So um, today I'm also reading that they, um, some of the Republicans are want to consider switching from an income tax to a sales tax, right? Uh, yeah. That's the fair tax that I've been reading about, which would be essentially a 30% sales tax and no income tax, or, or what would that be exactly? Right. Uh, I, I'm not, I'll, I'll preface this by saying me, I'm probably gonna get yeah. some hate mail for saying I am not a fan of replacing the, the income tax with the national sales tax. That's right. The plan is to replace the income tax with what they would tell us is about a 30% sales tax. That would, as they say, you wouldn't need to fight, you'd get rid of the IRS and you wouldn't need to file. Right. The problems with it is number one, you would actually need about a 40 or 50% sales tax, especially when you take into account all of the um, evasion. All I mean, every, every, oh, right. so many companies, there's so many things you could do to try to evade the sales tax. Right. Eventually, it would turn into a value-added tax, which is a lot more complicated. It's a sales tax that's paid at the business level, but there's less evasion. But you're going to need an IRS for that. You're, right, not getting, right. you're not getting rid of the IRS. The IRS is going to have to endorse the value-added tax. On top of it, for all the talk of, well, you don't have to file, usually the sales tax comes with a, a prebate you would get every year so that the poor who spend most of their money aren't hit the hardest. Sure. But to do a prebate, you're going to have to file every year with the IRS listing your income and your dependents so they know how big of a prebate to send you. So you still have the IRS. You still right. have to file. You still have a complicated system with businesses. And you're probably, even with the evasion, again, you're looking at a 40 or 50% tax. Most distributional analysis shows that a fair tax would actually raise taxes on lower and middle income families and cut mm -hmm. taxes at the top. I, I love the idea at the abstract of getting, you know, get rid of the IRS, sure. tax consumption, don't tax investment. But when you dive into the fair tax, it just doesn't work. 
Do you think that it's being thrown out there because there's this push, uh, this back and forth on we're going to grow the IRS, we're going to shrink the IRS, the IRS is going to get a much bigger budget, they're going to hire a bunch more auditors and make it harder for these people to be under the radar? Is this why they're throwing yeah, out people the hate the IRS and for good reason. <laughs> right. Um, the, the IRS has been overreaching. The audits are terrible. Ten years ago, there was a big scandal where they were targeting and harassing conservative organizations. Right. Absolutely. But I think the way to address that is to hold hearings and write legislation fixing the IRS. No matter what tax code we have, you're still going to have an IRS. For better or for worse, you can't get rid of it. Let's make it more user-friendly, efficient, competent. Make it so when you call, you can actually get somebody on the phone who knows what they're talking about. Let's, Let's focus on that. So going back to the debt ceiling situation, um, is it the case that if they don't figure it out before, say, June or July, which you just told me was very unlikely, mm-hmm. they don't figure it out, won't that trickle through to interest rates on mortgages and car loans and credit cards and everything? If rates do go up, yes, um, it'll go. It'll trickle throughout the economy. <laughs> and in fact, what happens is even the closer you get to the debt limit, we saw this in 2011, The once you get within a few weeks, the financial markets start to panic. And last time, the creditors like S&P actually downgraded America's bond rating, which pushes up interest rates. And that trickles out through the rest of the economy. Mortgage rates, or mortgage rates yeah. car loans, student loans, yeah. small business loans, those all get more expensive too. And then when you actually have the economic chaos of hitting the debt limit and defaulting on all these payments, that creates all sorts of you know unemployment higher interest rates, it it, it it reverberates through the economy. I, I mean, I sound squishy here. I am as fiscally okay. conservative as anybody. I, I have written plans to cut tens of trillions of dollars, but I think we need to be realistic about going about this a way that's likely to be more successful or going about this in a way that's likely to be less successful. Yeah, you know, I used to work for the federal government and I felt like a pawn when I did. I was there through a couple of shutdowns and they would shut down for two or three weeks. And then uh, we couldn't go to work. We weren't allowed to check email. We did not get paid. And we were always reassured by the, you know, the veterans, don't worry, you'll get paid eventually, which is kind of hard for me at the time. I was a single parent, but I was like Congress grappling it out while people, you know, are kind of stuck in the middle. And uh, some of it feels a little bit like political posturing to me. Now, I think the deficit should be reduced and I'm all for a balanced budget, all for it. But uh, it just seems that, and I think it's on both sides, to be honest, because I, for the last week, I've been reading debt ceiling crisis. Mm -hmm. It's going to be chaos. Today doesn't feel like chaos, right? It feels like another day with a stronger message from both sides. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, t- today today is not chaos because we have the extraordinary measures. Um, they're, they're, they're raiding government pension funds today. Well, that does not feel good. <laughs> that does not feel good. They're promising they'll pay it back. And usually, yeah. and that's why usually the day they raise the debt limit, the national debt will rise by 500 billion that day because they're paying back all the ac- pension accounts and other oh, yeah. accounts they've oh, been yeah. rating. So you'll sure. see a one-day jump of like $500 billion. Um, But yeah, I just, I, I think the, the debt limit is the hostage you can't shoot. Like sure. you can take it hostage. And m- my concern with Republicans on this 
who I talk to all day long, is the more we talk about default and the more we talk about what how you know we're threatening to default and we're willing to default and default won't be that bad, you're scaring the heck out of out of a lot of voters. Of course, yeah. And you're making deficit reduction look chaotic and scary. You're make you want to make deficit reduction look like the responsible, stable, grown-up thing to do, not chaotic and scary. What I tell Republicans is first step, tell people we are not going to default, period. And then from there say, however, why won't Democrats address the deficit? Why, why are they keeping us on track to deficits hitting three trillion in 10 years? Social Security and Medicare going insolvent and us hitting a debt crisis. Why aren't they following up on the fact that the eight biggest deficit reduction deals use, were tied to the debt limit? Democrats used to get this. Yes, we will raise the debt limit because we have to. But how do they justify the course we're on? That's a much stronger message than turning on the news every night and seeing conservatives say, you know, default's not that bad. Oh, yeah. If we're talking about default not that bad. You're going to excite about 20% of the population that's gung-ho, and you're going to scare the hell out of 80%. That's right. That's not a successful strategy. And what's hard to understand is, uh, from where I'm sitting in Missouri, our governor gave a state of the state yesterday, and because of um, stimulus money that's still rolling into the state in <laughs> billions and billions and billions, we are flush with cash. We are doing rainy day funds. We are yeah. doing, uh, we have a, a surplus and they're fully funding all these. You know, he basically gave a speech that was, he was like Santa Claus. And uh, why not? All the money's there. Our, I work in education policy. Our education uh, budget for this year is 50% higher than it's ever been. It's like 10.4 billion. It's normally about 7 billion. And I know I know that a lot of school districts are sitting on their care, maybe not their cares, but CRSSA cares too. Mm -hmm. And the uh, American rescue plan money, maybe they're nervous because they don't know how to spend it. But in a lot of cases it's sitting there because they COVID is over. Yeah. The buses have been cleaned. <laughs> the, the plexiglass has been taken down and uh, yeah, kids are very much behind, but I think it's almost paralyzing to have so much money coming in and I have been saying for years, three years now, we're going to get 10 years out of COVID and be like, where'd all that money go? I don't know. It's amazing. I mean, in, in the American Rescue Plan, the one which is driving a lot of our inflation, yeah. we gave $350 billion to states and local governments for budget deficits that didn't exist. They, right. they didn't even have deficits, yet we gave them $350 billion they don't know what to do with. We also, as you mentioned... <laughs> sent about $185 billion to schools on yep. top of the other spending for COVID mitigation that they don't, they haven't needed. In fact, CBO they says most of the, they, CBO now says most of the COVID mitigation won't be spent for a decade. Well, yep. you're not going to need to be mitigating COVID. The bacteria will be, years. the virus will be gone. No, right? they're, they're just sitting on this. I would like to see the federal government claw back some of this Same. money because it's insane to see Washington complaining with about massive deficits right after giving half a trillion dollars to state and local governments that they don't need. Well, that's the thing that I can't understand. It's like we have this uh, debt, debt debt limit crisis. 
But uh, the governor of Missouri is talking about our massive surplus because the federal government infused cash into our state. So should they have sent all that money out to the states if they can't pay their bills in June? Exactly. Exactly. That 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 was that was the much of the one point nine trillion dollar American Rescue Plan was just it, it. Not only it was actually it's amazing when the federal government could spend one point nine trillion dollars to actually make everything worse. You think if you're spending that much money, somebody's benefiting. They actually gave all this money to state and local governments who don't need it. They right. gave unemployment benefits to people to, that paid more than their jobs. Right. And at right. the end of the day, all it bought was an additional three points to the inflation rate, according to the Federal Reserve's right. analysis. ARP added three points to the inflation rate. So you have debt, you have reduced work incentives, you have money in state and local governments that they don't know what to do with. And you have higher inflation. Like this was one of the most destructive bills of my lifetime. And it felt like a timing thing. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree. It was as a timing thing because you have one administration leaving and and another administration coming in at the tail end of the pandemic. They're like, well, we want to do stimulus. You know what I mean? We want to give money away. And apparently we can print it. And But then today we're hearing, no, 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 we can't print it. We've hit this limit. So it's. I know that the numbers are very big and the topic is very confusing and the average person may not understand at all what's happening, but it feels like, you know, we're little pawns and the people uh, who are playing the game can't get along and someone's going to have to suffer for it. But I love your optimism that the mm-hmm. debt ceiling, that they will resolve this in the next two months because they always do learn how to play together. But, um, and that's, that's what I'm hoping for. But, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it has to get to to this level of like kind of hysteria in the media. Yeah, I mean it's it's frustrating because again, you know, the parties used to understand raise the debt limit, reduce the deficit. Sure. But Washington has become so toxic. I actually put on Twitter today a report I wrote in 2019 on the history of budget negotiations in Congress, when they're successful and when they're not successful. And the main reason they've become less successful in the last 10 or 15 years is because of the negotiating environment in Congress is so toxic. The parties do not talk to each other. They do not negotiate in good faith. And it's so hard to get them to come together to a deal for a deal. I mean, you know, they were partisan in the 80s and 90s, too. You know, it wasn't all balloons, uh, but they could still at the end of the day sit down and try to work out a win-win deal. That's right. Today they won't. That's where do you see that going? I know you're not a pregnant. I don't know. Like, where do you see that? I just that's a little depressing for me, right? Uh I, I don't see any signs in the tea leaves that it's getting better. So then that tells me that it might be getting worse. And uh, I don't know. I don't I where do you see it going? It, it, I mean, change has to come from the ground up. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, voters voters need to elect better members, to be honest. I think we elect a lot of show horses instead of workhorses. Yeah. We, need, we need to elect lawmakers who are more interested in rolling up their sleeves yeah. than than ones who are, are interested in going on Fox News every night and, yeah. and, and throwing red meat. I mean, I hear a lot of, well, at least he's a fighter. I'm all for electing fighters. As long as there's there's an end game to the fight, as long as there's a policy goal at the end or something they want to accomplish more than just I'm here to name call and do press yeah, yeah. releases and go on Fox News or MSNBC. I, so I think 
we have to elect better people and demand more from our lawmakers. Yeah, I think that's right. So um, I know it's a busy day. I won't keep you. But if in June or July this all falls to pieces, maybe you could come back and we could do a debrief. I, I would love to. Uh, hopefully <laughs> everything won't be falling apart. Uh, I, I love they, your They've always right. solved it before. It just may come to the last minute with a lot of pain. It might be uglier. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. Have a good one.